We are unlimited energetic beings. But as women, we're taught to believe that our worth is in direct proportion to whether or not we're acceptable to others. We spend our lives keeping our mouths closed at work, playing it small in relationship with family and friends, dieting, and for many of us, sadly, seeking out a partner not for love and companionship, but for the social accolades that come with having a man put a ring on it. My name's Dr. Liz Dubois, and I've spent the last decade traveling the globe talking to women facing different types of trauma. Through my work and my research, I've come to believe that no matter what it is we're facing, we're all playing it small. This podcast is my rallying cry for us to step into our power and stop living within the bounds of what society taught us was acceptable. Each week, I spotlight the story of a badass woman who's refusing to play it safe any longer. Within each of their stories, you'll hear practical advice to step into your own power, find your authentic worth, and unapologetically live your purpose. This is my invitation to you to be small, no more. I'm a single mom, and I was raised by a single mom, and my mom was raised by a mother who also went through a divorce. And I feel a really strong sense of wanting to honor what my mom was able to build despite having some really challenging circumstances that I don't have. I have a PhD, I have a great co-parent, I really am respected by my colleagues, and I get to do a job that I love. Despite all of that, I've really struggled with my sense of deservingness around money, in part because I have this sense that because I'm a single mom, everything I should do should be really, really hard when it comes to making money. And if it's not really, really hard, then I'm not putting into my parenting and my work that I am doing in the world, the sacrifice that my mom put into it, which I know is crazy and I know she doesn't think, but it's something I've really struggled with. And as I've been trying to wrestle with this demon of if I'm going to be a good mom, then that means I can't also have work that I enjoy that I get paid a lot for. And I've been wrestling with this in really uncomfortable ways that weren't super productive until I met Paloma Love. And we met on a Zoom call hanging out in the pandemic. And within 30 seconds, I messaged her and I was like, oh my God, I have to get to know you more. Please help me. I want to understand your philosophy and how you work. And she became one of the most important mentors in my life, which is nuts because eight weeks ago, I didn't know who she was. But my relationship with worthiness has radically transformed because of her guidance and mentorship. And I'm putting this podcast out there because I know I am not the only mom. I'm certainly not the only woman that struggles with the challenges that come with feeling deserving of money. That if I take money, if I sell you something, if I give you a product and ask in return for it a price that reflects the work and studying and costs that went into creating the product that I am harming you in some way. These are narratives that are really deeply instilled and they're reflected in all sorts of different places. This is not the podcast where I'm going to talk about the wage gap or anything like that. I am here to talk really about the relationship that we have with ourselves, with our feelings of worth, and what that means for our wallets. So without further ado, here is my friend and mentor, Paloma Love. The, the impact that you have had on my life and, and therefore, by extension, my son's life is hard for me to overstate. And I would love if you just, in your own words, kind of explain what your sub- special sauce is. And then we're going to talk about women's relationships with money. Um, for me specifically, and I, I'm going to use myself as a data point of one, because I, I know having done this work now for 10 years, that I'm certainly not alone in this, women make themselves so small in the economic sense where our relationship with money is really determined on, we feel afraid to ask other people for money. We feel afraid to charge what we're worth. And we have this sense that we're inflicting pain and taking something from someone when we ask for the money that we deserve. Um, So the floor is yours. Kind of explain to us who you are. Yeah. Okay. First of all, hello, everybody. 
Liz, I too could not be more overjoyed to be having this conversation with you. I love you as a human. I respect the crap out of what you're doing. Um, and I'm stoked for our convo. So if you guys don't know me, my name is Paloma Lev and I teach women how to build and sell three to 10 K plus high ticket packages, taking their expertise and confidently selling it. Um, and this is a conversation that I'm super excited about and super passionate about because I am so tired of seeing ridiculously brilliant women massively underselling themselves, um, not negotiating well on their own behalf and giving away their power when they are by nature, extremely powerful creatures. And so I'm excited to dive in. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like for me, there's been two things that you've done that have been really, when I say powerful, it, it's, it's underselling the impact because what it has been is you have, I feel like there's like my life BP and AP, like before Paloma and after Paloma, because I realized, I don't, middle of 2019, that like my income had varied wildly from the time I was like 22 and got out of college and the time that I was 35 and was really like hitting my stride in my calling. I developed my practice. I'd really begun to understood like what had worked well for me in terms of therapy and what had actually been quite harmful towards me. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, now's the time to really open the floodgates and make the money. And I got to this place mentally where I was really had to confront myself and become curious about the fact that no matter what I had made in those preceding, I don't know, 13 years, whether I was rolling in the income or really scraping the bottom of the barrel, especially during grad school, I always had the same amount of credit card debt without fail. It was always about $12,000. And yeah. I was just like, what is it? Is there some kind of magical voodoo number here for me? Yeah. Or is there like, something else is at play. And I heard Ed Milet talk in one of his podcasts about we, we have this external temperature setting, right? Yeah. Like we are always set at 72 degrees or whatever. And if you walk into a income situation where all of a sudden you have the opportunity to really warm yourself up, you're always going to bring the thermostat down back to where it is that your comfortable set point is. And I was like, okay, that really began the journey of me starting to, I say, not just like scrub the toilet of my shitty relationship with money, but like snake the pipes. I was like, we, like, there is some stuff here. And I started to intentionally seek out therapists and coaches and mentors that could help me reimagine not just my relationship with my income and my earning potential, but what it was that I felt I was worthy of having in terms of stability and runway to take care of myself and take care of my son. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, it's a thing of threshold. I mean, there's, a, there's so many different factors at play. One is absolutely what is our threshold. Some people would freak out if they got below 20,000 bucks in their account. Other people are only comfortable being, um, paycheck to paycheck. You know, everyone has a different threshold, but what is really at stake here when it comes to uh, women and money is the way that we were taught how to be good. Yeah. Every person wants to be good because they want to belong. They want to know they're safe and they want to be loved. Right yep. now for women, our goodness in the way that we are culturally indoctrinated is dependent on self-sacrifice and martyrdom. Absolutely. A good mom eats her kids' chicken fingers that have gone cold after the kid has eaten. That's a good mom. Yep. Um, a good wife uh, thinks about her husband first. All of these things of what does it mean to be good? And so if you're a woman who actually knows her worth, knows how to ask for what she wants, you're a threat. You're dangerous. You're a, wo a woman who's acquainted with her own power is someone who is, is um, a real outlier. And so a lot of the time we have to choose between, are we going to be good in the conventional sense? Or are we going to say, fuck being good. I want to be happy. I want to be healthy. I want to be my most fully expressed version of myself. And that might just not be compatible with the cultural understanding of how women can be good. 
because we are bossy or we're fat or we're this or we're sluts or we're all of the the language that's used to police women. You need to be comfortable with not being liked because guess what? The more you understand your own power, the more you step into your own power, the more that you refuse to simply accept the deals that are presented to you and become a proactive deal maker, the more people will challenge your authority and the more you need to be able to dig into the conviction of this is who I am, this is what I'm going to do, um, and be willing to be disliked without apology. Yeah, yeah, I, that makes so much sense to me. And I just want to kind of highlight to you, precious listener, it's like we're three episodes into this podcast and one of the common themes that's now emerging is your health and well-being and and by extension happiness is probably dependent on pissing some other people off. And I'm calling out that pattern because I think it would be really easy to listen to this podcast and make the decision that the women having these conversations are just bad people. And I'm wondering, I, I think it would be helpful, Paloma, if you and I can kind of suss out for people like how your life can change and then by extension the people who love you how their lives can change if you have this kind of radical selfishness that allows you to go deeper into your relationship with what makes sense for you yeah well you know it's interesting because i'm sure that we've all had someone in our life that has painted themselves as selfless They're always the martyr. They're the ones who are like, oh, we'll just do whatever you guys want. And they think that they're good because they do that. That person is the most self-interested person because they are interested in a particular status that comes along with, oh, I don't have any needs, right? It's radical for a woman to insist on her needs, insist on her pleasure, insist on being paid really, really, really damn well. It's radical. And so I see this all the time teaching sales that women say to me, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to handle objections because I want to be nice. Yeah. I don't want to be confrontational. Oh, I'm not a salesy person. Therefore, I don't want to put myself out there. Right. Yeah. Um, and I just say with love, you're not being nice. You're actually being selfish. Uh, and, and not in a, a good way of like, you are, you are protecting um, a certain way of being seen. And if you can kind of let go of trying to prove yourself, trying to be seen in a particular way and just realize that there's one radio channel that you need to be tuning into more than any other radio channel. And that's your own voice. A lot of women can't hear their own voice. A lot of women can only hear my kid wants this. My partner wants this. My mom says I should do this. My mom says my business shouldn't be this. My mom says that I should be like, like all of these voices that are running our lives and for me i feel a strong sense of obligation to women because i see them outsourcing their authority mm-hmm. to other people and feeling estranged from themselves and so i would love to say that self-sacrifice is not nice and being selfless is being without a self mm. how in the world can you show up to an intimate relationship with anyone without a self without needs, without boundaries. You're not being yourself and coming into a relationship as a fully formed um, fellow human saying, let's make something exciting between us with our chemistry and our excitement and our passion. You're just saying, who do you want me to be? Tell me who you want me to be so I can be what you expect me to be so that I can be liked, so that I can be loved, so that I can be safe. Amen. Amen. I'm like raising my hands to Jesus right now because what I like, I see the, the outcome of this in my divorce practice, mm-hmm. right? Women end up in my office and some of them after three years of marriage and a lot of them after 30 years of marriage mm-hmm. where they have made it, uh, not just a habit, but a component on which their marriage is depending that they show up with no needs. And what that means is instead of the vacuum that gets filled there, right? Like your partner has a fully actualized sense of self and and is somewhat, you know, at least adept at expressing what those needs are. And then you've got the the female partner, if it's a heterosexual couple, right? Or maybe it's like the the more um, 
the partner with a bit less confidence and ability to stand up for herself if it's a you know a heter a homosexual couple right like you you have this power vacuum and this power imbalance and instead of it happening that the um the less powerful partners um kind of vacuum is filled by their partner's self um what gets filled in that vacuum is resentment right yeah. And and so the the partner who's expressing their their needs and their wants and their desires less ends up actually quite resentful, and so you have now this kind of like decaying carcass of resentment sitting in between two people that on the in theory love each other and end up using each other to have their needs met in this very toxic way. Yeah, totally. And and I, by the way, guys, we don't say this standing on some high high peak myself too. Um, I've definitely had relationships where I thought that, oh, I'm a good girlfriend because I don't have a lot of needs and it's just about him. Like, I don't say it like I'm any, you know, but it's a learned thing. We learned how to sacrifice ourselves. We learned how to be needless. We learned how to be small. We learned how to be quiet. And so the good news is that we can unlearn it. Yes. Absolutely. That's the good news. That's the light at the end of the tunnel. It's like, if you see young girls, they're so like, they're fiery. They're bold. They're expressive. They don't apologize. They you say like, who's good at singing? I am, you know, like it's a learned behavior. Um, so it can be unlearned. And I went through the process of unlearning, apologizing. I always jokingly have with my female clients, a sorry jar. And I, I increase the price of it every single time. Um, because I'm tired of women starting their sentences with, this might be stupid, but, yeah. or I don't know if somebody already mentioned this before, but it, so if they did, or I, I don't, sorry if I'm talking too much, but, and then they drop bombs of brilliance. It's too much. Like yeah. it, it's unfortunate because women are brilliant and powerful. And yet we've been unplugged from ourselves. And my desire and my work is to plug women right back into themselves, not to plug them into me or something else, plug you right back into yourself. Yeah. And I think, you know, it would be helpful again for the woman that's sitting and listening to this and being like, you selfish bitches, you know, bitches. Yeah. like this is what's at stake. It's your children learning that they should not matter. Right. It's your family learning that your needs are not actually relevant. And so you're walking into family situations already tense and feeling resentful and like newsflash that's going to eventually come out sideways when you have some sort of blow up that nobody else saw coming. And then on a more aggregate scale, who knows, you might be the person poised to cure cancer, right? Like you may have the circuitry and brilliance that you are the answer to cancer, but because you're too fucking scared to raise your hand and say, I want to go to graduate school and become a doctor because gosh darn it, good girls in your family stay at home with the kids, who's to say that you're not depriving the world from the next big idea? And so if you're listening to this and being like, no, I, I not only can I not do this, but I shouldn't do this because that's selfish. You are inculcating your family with the concepts that will absolutely replicate their smallness. And you are taking from the world your special sauce of brilliance and that's yes and you know the funny thing is i knew that i was doing things right when i when i started to be called selfish i was like damn right thank god thank god i had a um, best friend that i grew up with who when i had a period where i needed myself yeah i was going through anxiety i was going through depression i was being a workaholic i was struggling um and I needed myself. I was so used to kind of codependently putting other people's needs before mine. Yep. Um, and I it hit this breaking point that I became physically unwell. Yep. And so I shut, I shut out a lot of these people because I needed myself. Yep. And then I was told by a lot of like close friends, you're being selfish. You're not there for me. And some of those friendships fell away. And thank God. Thank God, the, the people, the clients, the friends, the family that you want around you are people who support you in having your boundaries. Yeah. I'm so grateful when Liz is able to say to me, like, this is what I need. In this session, let's do this. Paloma, take the, this, this, this. That helps me to help her and helps me to not hurt other people. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. 
I once had this experience and are you going to go? Well, I, so you, you said for me, like a keyword yeah. that for a long time, I was like, ah, oh, that's mean, but it has yeah. been in fact, like the key to my liberation. You said boundaries. Like, yeah. can you talk a little bit about the relationship between boundaries with other people and yeah. feelings of deservingness around money? Mm. Hmm. That's a really interesting one. You know, I, I do believe that it all comes back to the fact that like every person deserves what you need and what you want, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with if you, if you want to earn 10 million bucks this year, you don't have to apologize for that. If you and a sexual partner need this very specific thing to get off, there's nothing wrong with that. The way, so before I was teaching sales, I was teaching negotiation skills. And this is the interesting thing when it comes to negotiation. Every person has the right to put their cards on the table of what they want. Yeah. And the whole point of negotiation is that the corresponding, your uh, negotiation partner has the corresponding right to say no and has the right to veto it. Yeah. And so for me growing up, I was taught, don't ask for too much because your parents, I'm one of four kids, are exhausted and tired and that your needs are a burden. Yeah. So only come to me when you're like, you know, when it's a really, really, really extreme case because we don't have the bandwidth to, you know. And I think that a lot of people who grew up in households where their parents didn't have their needs met, yeah. learned that their needs are too heavy and too big and yeah. too problematic. And so they apologize for their needs. The funny thing is money is just a symptom of all of this. It's just, it's just an outgrowth of feeling that, um, that for you to have is for you to take away from somebody else. Yes. But if I sell to you, I'm, I'm hurting you. I'm taking away from you. It's like a, there's a pie. And if I take half, then you only have half. Yeah. If I take a quarter, then you have three quarters. It's that, that kind of understanding as opposed to, Liz, what if one plus one equals three? Yeah. What if you produce some possibility, I produce some possibility, we move, mix that possibility together, we can create something bigger than either of us had. It's that understanding that we are not in competition with one another. We are co-creators and generators of possibility. And so my desire is for every single woman in this world to become a proactive deal maker. Mm -hmm. If you produce deals, you will have better outcomes than if you simply respond to other people's deals. Put differently, nobody will ever present you with a deal as beneficial to you as you yourself will present. So what does that mean? When you show up to a meeting, everybody knows that I will never show up without my notebook filled with, these are my objectives, these are my priorities, this is my agenda, this is the order of priority, this, then, this, then, this. If we don't get to this, then this. Now, I prepare like hell for any conversation, and also I come in with the flexibility to improvise because it, a conversation is a two-way thing. Yep. But I would like women to prepare. What do I want? What's in it for me? And think about what, what can I provide to that other person, of course. But most people um, simply respond to other people's plans for them, other people's plans for their life, other people's plans for your time, other people's plans for your relationships. If you don't build your own dreams, other people will recruit you into building their dreams. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. it's about intention, intentionally saying, I deserve the things that I want and this is possible for me. And I'm going to put as much time and energy and effort into my own projects, equity in myself, yes. because I'm so tired of seeing women building other, and it's fine. If you have a passion for someone else's mission, then do it fine. But a lot of the time it's like, you know, you want the protection of being under someone else's turtle shell, but you're not fully expressed and you're, you're not helping the world by not being fully expressed. The world is impoverished by women who are not fully expressed. Because if you've ever seen a woman in her full power, it's a magical fucking thing. And it's inspiring as hell. It really is. And it lifts everybody else up with her. Yeah. And so I'm, I'd like to kind of translate this a little bit because I think if you're listening to this and you're like, cool, I'm not an entrepreneur though, right? Right. right. Entrepreneur. It, it's, yes. it's a long word for a reason. It is a journey. Okay. And you know, like, like yeah. there, I'm at a period in my life, my child is about to turn six. Like 
I, I do want the security. And frankly, I also want the, um, I don't want to say lack of responsibility because, you know, I show up big for my job, but I appreciate so much having been an entrepreneur from the time I was 24. I really appreciate that I don't have to worry about the taxes and the CPA and the, you know, compliance and the insurance and all of that, because that part of my brain is now occupied with making sure that I remember that it's the fucking hundredth day of school and my kid needs to have a caterpillar puffy painted on his shirt with a hundred segments, right? Like there's a, a time and space in my life where I will be ready to step out again in that way, full fledged. But right now to be the person I want to be for my son it also means that I'm an employee. And so I just want to call out, like, if, if that's your story right now, know that that doesn't mean you can't expand with your full wingspan. And for me, what that means, you know, I'm, I'm an employee of a family law firm and there's a reason I'm employee of a family law firm and not like a car salesman. It's because I could give a shit about getting people into a good car. I give all the shits about getting people out of toxic abusive marriages and so if you're in a place in your life where you're really clear like i don't want to start up my own thing because x y or z reason all of which are valid like know that the path here can look like you find someone else who's who's building the dream right and you jump in with all of your magical powers and you make it something different and my law firm is like, I don't say this because we're super awesome. I say this because we are absolutely courageous and vulnerable. We have built a model that does not exist in Washington, D.C. or Maryland, where there's an in-house therapist. Mm -hmm. And we did that in part because you had two really powerful, brave leaders, myself and, and Christy Zlatkis, who founded the firm, who were like, we believe other people will be better served if we have the guts to create something absolutely new. Yeah, yeah. And Liz, that's a really important point. It's absolutely true that there is not one way to go about this. If it is your full truth that this is, that is what you want to do, then absolutely do it. I highly recommend do what feels right to you. Yep. And also, I want women to have the skills, negotiation skills, Yes. Uh, sales skills because that's sales skills is not a business skill. It, it's a life skill and negotiation is not a business. Skill, it's a life skill, right? Something as simple as, you know, getting your kid into the school that you want to get them into or, um, you know, what restaurant do we go to tonight for dinner or whatever. Um, it doesn't always have to be on a, a large scale of, okay, I want to close these high ticket deals. That's awesome. And I love getting women to the point they can do that because it's wildly powerful in the personal development that happens to get women there is remarkable, but you're absolutely right that just the skill in and of itself, just prioritizing learning how to receive yep. and not just give. I was there too, guys, a hundred percent. Understanding that you're the creator of your reality. I am a deal maker. Yep. I make things happen. I don't just respond. Like you're not just the goalie in the net waiting as balls hit you in the face. Yep. You are on the field, on the offense, making things happen. And so every single day you have an opportunity to negotiate. If you go to a grocery store, you know how many times I negotiated that people said, you can't, you can't negotiate at Starbucks. Yes, I can. Yes, I did. You can negotiate. Oh, tell me about that because I need oh, to bring me back to the present because right now I'm just having a very real visual. Of balls in the face. I know, Liz. I know, honey bunny. That's the, the problem when people know me. <laughs> I, know. I know. It's just one of my favorites because I know that everyone's mind goes there. Um, so how do you negotiate at Starbucks? I was back in the olden days. They used to have this like salad deal. It's like salad banana and water for a certain price yeah. um <laughs> I'm like starbucks and a salad that sounds horrible. do you know what's crazy actually they're a they're actually pretty legit side I'm note just like i'm picturing like a frothy coffee cappuccino and like LOL. Salad, yeah banana i'm like uh, but yeah i'll get uh, i'll co-sign like a passion tea yeah sure i'm with you I'm sure. so let's so it's like i would go there and i'd be like you know what i don't want the banana because i'm keto and i can't instead can i have blank instead i'll be like i want i don't know give me like five cheese strings <laughs> like whatever um it's just starbucks and it's just an example right what is a menu a menu is someone 
in advance preparing a list of trades. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give you these leaves of lettuce, pieces of chicken and quinoa, and you're going to give me 12 bucks. That's the proposed trade. When you go into their restaurant, you pick one of their trades and you say yes to one of their trades. That's what's happening, right? So why can't we go into establishments? And it doesn't just have to be like a restaurant, whatever. Like call up your phone company or like whatever. I don't care what it is. I just want people to practice and realize you are so much more powerful than you think. Why is it that us proposing things is getting away with something, right? Yeah. I remember like another time, um, it, this was in New York as well, that like there was two restaurants pretty close to each other owned by the same owner, but one has really good pina coladas and the other one has really good tacos and I wanted both. Yeah. I wasn't going to choose. And so I went to the pina colada place and I'm like, can I get a pina colada to go? He's like, oh, we don't, we can't do it to go. I'm like, yeah, I want the tacos at the other place. And he's like, and he, I was like, can you just deliver it for me? He's like, okay. He puts it in like a sippy cup, whatever. And he walks us to the other restaurant where I'm, and I bring it there. And I had to take a picture because my friends were like, oh my God, Paloma, like, how did you? And I'm just, of course, yeah, of course, of course I can. And so you can use it in any situation. My DNPs in my early days set me up to be able to make 10K plus sales. You know, it's, the, it's all the same thing. It's, the muscle. Skill. Yeah. it's yeah. a muscle. You can't yeah. squat, you know, 100 pounds until you can do five. Exactly. Right? Like squat exactly. the bar, man. And, yeah. you know, I'm just like chuckling to myself of all these different things where I've kind of pushed the limit. And yeah. that language in and of itself presupposes that there is a limit and this is not to say that there aren't negotiations where when you're doing something right like don't go and negotiate consent if someone says no i don't want to go down on you don't be like well let me explain to you why that's right yeah there's definitely like when it comes to sexual consent stuff if someone says no to you a hundred million gazillion percent that's a no right we're not talking about that that's the exception to the rule my desire is for women to feel more comfortable with hearing no and to stop it from going to the vortex of if this person said no to me, I'm not good enough. They know, Oh, they know that I don't really have a PhD or this. They're like, they, they go down this road. I do. Liz really does. I'm not saying Liz. She absolutely does. But I just mean like, you know, people go down this vortex of, Oh God, they're going to think this is like, can you withstand a no and not personalize it? And can you not reject yourself when someone else has rejected you? Yeah. Well, and I think the feelings that go along with the no for me are shame. Right, right. Like, right. Shame is yeah. shame. like I go down the vortex and the vortex meant like thinking on a frontal lobe level is, yeah. oh my God, I've like stepped out of my lane and they're so offended. <laughs> right down the toilet I go. But the experiential feeling of that is shame, shame, like burning shame. I have been seen. And it's not the fear of having been seen for having a need. It's the fear of being seen for not being a good person and asking for too much. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And you know what? It's just important for us to remind ourselves that the other person is also powerful. Yes. That they, and and empower them. I love empowering people with boundary tools. Like I say at the beginning of client sessions, you are more than welcome to disagree. You are more than welcome. Take this how you want to take this. On a sales call, I invite you to say no. If this is not your thing, if you're like, I hate this chick, I don't feel whatever, I welcome you to say no. Because I, when you go into a situation non-needy, the yeah. thing is, when you come in needy of like, I need this yes to validate my existence, yeah. then you're putting that person in a, a difficult position, um, and your amygdala, when someone comes to you needy or desperate, your amygdala is like, danger, warning, creepy, whatever. But if you are completely unattached to the outcomes of like, okay, if it's not this client, then it's another client, or you know, if it's not this partner, it's going to be another partner all premised with the fundamental knowing of my uh, success, happiness, joy, pleasure is inevitable. It's just, does it come, do I get from this source or from this source or from this source? My desire is for women to go from uncertain to of course, in a lot of different areas. And when you get to that place of, of course, you really are unstoppable. People go from the point of, I don't have any options. Like 
really thinking of themselves as hands tied, I have to do this thing, to a, an incredible opposite problem of there's so many opportunities and possibilities and everybody wants all it. What am I going to say yes to? There's the problem of selection, as, which is an amazing problem to have. Like confidence smells like options. Yes. I have infinite options. And I am the one who decides based on what I want, what I need, what is aligned with my mission. What do I want to do? What do I want to choose? That's why I say have a pre-qualifying application if you're for everything, for your friends. For oh, your yeah, talk about your pre-qualifying application for um for everything. No, no, no. Talk specifically dating? about yeah. dating because yeah. I do like for me, and I think for a lot of women, this yeah. feeling of unworthiness, feeling yeah. of promise, feeling of I cannot ask for my needs, and I'm not just talking about in bed. Yeah. Although certainly that too. That's definitely thing um, too. Yeah. You know. Yeah. This idea of I need to just accept whatever I can get, and again, asterisks to this. Those are the women that end up in my office needing divorces, 100%. It's because they went in and said, well, you know, this is close enough to good enough. And yeah. I probably can't do better than this. And so therefore, this is fine. I promise you, you will be in a, in, in a divorce attorney's office. It's just a matter of time. When. Yes. So yeah. talk to me about your pre-qualification for yeah. dating because what yes. I, I love what you do. Yes. Okay. So... Pre-qualification is based in an understanding of our non-negotiables, right? So every person, guys, this is an activity you can do today. Get a notebook and pick a couple different categories that are important to you in your life. What are your non-negotiables for friendships? Yep. What are your non-negotiables for romantic relationships? What are your non-negotiables for clients or for work or whatever? And make your top five criteria, right? Every right to, like in life, everything's ordering a fucking pizza, right? If I want olives and pepperoni on my pizza, I can have that. But if you don't want olives and pepperoni on your pizza, we're sharing a pizza. That's totally fine. We just, the number one um, right that you have in a negotiation is you have every right to walk away. Yes. yes. And, you have, and, and not every person is worth negotiating with. Yeah. Please, like, underline and asterisk that not every person is worth negotiating with. There's an expression. It's like, if you roll around, with a pig, you're both going to get dirty. The only difference is that the pig actually likes it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you don't have to negotiate with everyone who wants to negotiate with you. Yeah. You have every right to say no. You have a limited bandwidth emotionally, physically, mentally. Yeah. And only negotiate with people that are worth negotiating with for you. Right. And, and I want to just underline a couple of ways that this manifests, right? Because yes. it's not just, I'm going to negotiate at Starbucks or, you know, we're going to get yeah. different, like, I don't fucking want your pepperoni gross. Um, <laughs> you know, like this, this looks like yeah. boundaries and being able to walk away, right? Like if you and a family member cannot get on the same page of what respecting each other's boundaries look like, and you have someone that's like continually, I, I have, I have zero relationship and communication with my father. And that is because we have a lifetime of evidence that there's no way for us to have communication without it in some way spiraling down a very painful situation for yeah. me I can't speak to his experience but for me like I am unafraid to walk away from people that fundamentally transgress my understanding of myself so if someone tells me I'm a terrible bitch or goads me with racial, you know, jokes, I absolutely reserve the right to walk away. And that is not a thing that women are taught. We are taught that you have to stay in relationship. Fight up with the bullshit, make it work, fight for your relationship. Love is not easy. Love is a struggle. It's an uphill battle. No, it's like, you can actually, there, there are some things that don't change with time. There are things that you, where you can grow and learn, but it takes a massive willingness. And even when you want to grow and learn and change, it's tough. Yes. Yeah. You know? And so you're absolutely right. You have every right to walk away. And the most beautiful thing is when you do, and I have too, like it's very hard to walk away from people that you love, um, money when it's all like, you know, I say no to partners. I say no to clients. I say no, there are no's that you have to say, but what you win in the process is your own respect. Yes. Yes. Selves too. Yeah, absolutely. But it
So I'm gonna take my mentor's own advice here and do a scary thing, which is ask you for money because I can't really do an episode about worthiness and asking for money and all the scary things in vulnerable work if I weren't to say to you that I've set up a Patreon account for this podcast, which is just patreon.com slash drliz, D-U-B-O-I-S. So patreon.com slash Dubois. This is a passion project that I'm so grateful is now out in the world, but it does cost money because it turns out there's lots of things that you have to do and edit and sound and all the things. So if you like what you're hearing, I would love your support. And like I said, this is really scary to do. So go me for getting a point and go you for getting to listen to this podcast. Thank you for listening and I love you. It's not up to us to live our lives in a way that makes other people feel comfortable. Ooh, I, let's dig into that because that, I mean, I think more so than being socialized to think that we're supposed to make people happy, yeah. the simple act of making people feel uncomfortable, like, and I'm just thinking about this as someone like I grew up from the time I was about eight years old to the time I was about 23, I was very overweight. Mm-hmm. Um, it, well, I I thought I was very overweight. There were points where that was true and there were points where that was body dysmorphia. Um, But I now, when I see women who are far bigger than me, unapologetically happy and comfortable in their own skin, it triggers me because I think, oh my gosh, I have lived 30 some odd years of my life uncomfortable in my skin because I thought I had to be thin in order to be happy. And here's a person absolutely challenging that misconception that I had. And so let's talk a little bit about what supposed to make other people comfortable. Yes. Well, you know, it's so crazy. It's interesting that you say that because two things come up for me. One is I would always, I have certain questions that I always ask like uh, male lovers or partners, whatever. I say, I always ask them if you could, well, I have a lot of questions. Guys, if you don't know yet, I have a lot of questions. I'm a curious human. It's one of the benefits of having ADD. I just wonder, like, you know, if you go into a 12-step room, they have, like, the 12 steps and 12 traditions on the wall. I'm, like, picturing above your bed, like, there's all these, like, lit candles, but then there's, like, 12 questions of, like, before you enter my bed and me. I literally, okay, guys, this is, should I say this? I made, I made it, like, a doc on my computer where I'm, like, here are the cheat codes of, like, what I want for myself uh, sexually with partners. And I was just like, this is okay. This is not okay. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. Because it's like to just on a, almost like a slide to like a presentation to give a new partner or lover, but like, this is how my body works. This yeah. is what I like. Because I just feel like we can get as proactive as we want mm-hmm. about being like, as opposed to waiting for people to quote, screw up. Yeah. Unapologetically just educate people like this is me this, these are my cheat codes. This is how I work. This I'm open and I'm learning and I'm growing all the time, but this is what I know about myself. And just putting it all on the table is so empowering because when I was able to really like accept my body, I'm also like thick. I'm the Khloe Kardashian of my fam, amazing personality, thick. And the other ones are thin. Okay, fine. And side note, I eat way healthier than those individuals. Love you sisters, but it doesn't matter. Like, oh gosh, women of the world hear us now, right? So, um, with this thing about like, I'm perfect how I am. It's like, I started to depersonalize my body. It's like, Oh, if I eat this thing, I feel bloated. Like it's the same as the sales rabbit hole of once they say, Oh, I'm too expensive. You go down the rabbit hole of I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. Of course I'm too expensive. I don't have the credentials, all that bullshit. Right. It's the same with our bodies. Like I'm bloated. Therefore I will never be loved and I will die alone. And cats will eat my face while I'm dead. Like it's just go down that rabbit hole, you know? And it's, in terms of don't get a cat don't get a cat because it will eat your face when you die alone because it'll be hungry because you didn't leave it tuned out because you're too worried about your own body side note but i just want to say also like this whole thing of like you are so you other women can be so them i dared myself during university one way that i became the most confident version of myself was i did something as often as i could that terrified me 
Like mm. that was my goal. Oh yeah. Talk Who about like, turning in papers. Cause you've talked about when you yes. your masters, yes. you do not turn in a piece of writing unless it scared the shit out of you. Exactly. So I had this rule for myself and my masters where um, I was in creative writing and every, maybe every two weeks you'd hand in a bundle of like 10 poems. And for me, if I wasn't like, my heart wasn't beating out my chest and I wasn't so nervous to hand them in, I wouldn't hand it in because I knew it wasn't a work of, of consequence, a piece of art that provoked enough in me and in them. That was my barometer. But throughout university, I said to myself, I want to do as many things as I can that scare me because I'm, I'm making space in my, quote, comfort zone that I'm going to expand and push the edges and push the edges. I asked myself, to actually know two girls who ran this life drawing class asked me, uh, will you pose for our next life drawing class naked? And I was always in that kind of, if you're a woman, the majority of us have had complicated relationships with our own bodies. Um, And I said to them like, no way. And then I was like, maybe. And then a day went by and I said, definitely. And so I remember like late at night in a little towel walking like completely naked through the school library, um, being terrified when you have to like drop the towel or whatever. But do you know what gave me the courage to do that? Other than the fact that I dared myself a week earlier, a woman posed for the art class and I was like, Oh, she has boobs like mine. Like she, you know, like not like the most quote, perfect perky, like, just normal you know or whatever the hell that means but when she was able to just so confidently just whatever I was like oh there's nothing wrong with me yeah um and her courage gave me the courage so you know it sucks that women struggle to negotiate on their own behalf but they're awesome at negotiating on other people's behalf so if you have to on a sales call or whatever the hell or in whatever situation where you have to negotiate you have to say who else is being benefited by my courage yeah right I would love to get to the point that you yourself and your own benefit is more than enough to propel you to do it. Um, But her courage was a domino for my courage. And I'm sure that I did the same for other people. So um, if you just do the thing that scares you, I did so many things that scared me. I poetry slam in Toronto that I was really nervous to do. I was so nervous in debate club to do like a a big tournament and talk about it. But I did all these things and it's like you become almost like invincible yeah. and you realize it, it was there was thinking it was thinking pain it wasn't doing pain yeah the doing was fine yeah it was the thinking that we we had a wonderful way of torturing ourselves you know yeah yeah no and and you for me the relationship that I have with myself with other people in my head is is really torturous and I'll use an example. There was a, a woman that I went to school with from first grade through 12th. Mm-hmm. And I remember in Spanish class, like I was cursing as I do. And she was like, you curse more than any other girl that I've ever met. And I had such shame about this for a really long time. And I have like, spoiler alert, grown very comfortable in my own skin cursing. So sorry, whoever that fucking pisses off, but there it is. Um, and she reached out to me probably three years ago and I have no idea what the impetus was, but I had, I had stood up, I guess I had gone and reported a teacher for saying something, uh, the teacher had said something shitty about this young woman who had a, um, her body had a different ability than other people. Her body was structured different. And this, this teacher had used her as an example in anatomy class. I had no remembrance of this. I trotted my little 10th grade ass down to the principal's office and threw a stink about this. I, into my 30s, had no idea that this had come to anything. And this woman reaches out to me who I had carried all of this shame. I was the girl that cursed too much. And I had this whole story in my head of how this other woman thought of me. This whole story that was very tortured. And she reaches out to me. I, I don't know what the impetus was. And she said, you know, I have to tell you about this very brave thing that you did. Right. It turns out this, this woman had then gotten like this, this young woman's parents had gone to the principal. Like it, this had turned into a hullabaloo where the anatomy teacher got, I guess, reprimanded and, and changed. And I had no idea the ripple effects of me being courageous in that moment. And at the time, again, I'm underscoring this for other women at the time I had been told in so many overt ways and so many 
sneaky, subversive ways that me being all of me was not enough. And that it was like you and too much. That's the question. That's hilarious. Like you're both too much and you're not enough. And I'm yeah. like, um, isn't the average of that that I'm just a human? Yeah. Well, and and the, and like I can look back now and and see like these these different instances where I was too much, and it benefited other people. There, there was a Spanish teacher that kept you saying, "Oh, that's gay. That's gay." And um, I, I was in seventh grade. I was very much in denial about the fact that I had any of these kind of feelings. And I marched again, my little self-righteous tushy down to the principal's office. I was a real joy. Um, and I was like 10% of the population, in any given situation, again, sociologist from the jump. Uh, yeah, I was just like 10% of any given population is gay. And you have a teacher standing up and saying that's gay. What the fuck? And I can think of like all these different instances where I had shame about speaking up but I also had a sense of conviction that I'm doing this on somebody else's behalf. Yes. And yes. I think about it now and it's like, I, I have very uncomfortably started to really come out to myself and, and in small ways to other people. Yes. And then I've also really started to make peace with my own body dysmorphia and kind of like my body is fine just the way it is. And I can see these little echoes of like younger me having courage to stand up and say things that I thought were for other people. And I can say now, absolutely, I have a sense of permission and freedom with myself because I had the courage to stand up and speak on behalf of others. I love that. And you know what? And, and Liz, like, I think that you and I are the perfect examples of this, where it's like, it's not always convenient to be loud. It's not always convenient um, to speak your truth. Yep. It's embarrassing sometimes. It's vulnerable as hell. Like uh, seeing people through the process of becoming entrepreneurs, how many vulnerable things, how many dragons they have to slay. Mm. And, it's, and, and it's also so culturally necessary like so yeah. necessary your power does not take away from other people's power no no it does it not exponentially gives people permission to start to live as themselves and like dear god again like if you are the person who was told like good women do x or y they don't go to business school they don't do this they don't do that don't ask don't receive yeah, yeah. Like how don't talk about money. Don't be a bitch. Don't be bossy. Don't be a bitch. Don't be bossy. Like who's to say that you are not the person that negotiates with the FDA to get a COVID-19 vaccination yeah. to the market? Who's to say you're not the person that goes and innovates? Uh, there's, there's teams in Virginia right now turning breast pumps into ventilators. Wow. Like God forbid that some of the women on that team thought, I should just be using this breast pump at home and that they weren't constantly having curiosity about what can I do that's going to help other people. But the first step to that, of course, is having the balls to and the ovaries and the ovaries, right? The balls and the, right. But like the first step is getting over your own internal monologue that says, I'm not allowed to do that. Yes. And that's why I always say the surgeon with the pimple on their face. Yeah, so yeah. If you're a brain surgeon and everybody is a different kind of expert, I don't care what the hell your story is, what you've been, you're an expert at something that other people would find very valuable if you could use your wisdom to help them, that you make your suffering useful to other people. Imagine you're a surgeon and you, and you have a pimple on your face in the morning and you say, you know what? I know I have to do uh, brain surgery on this little boy today, but it's so embarrassing. I have a pimple on my face. You know what? I'm just not going to show up. No, show that bleep up. We all have a pimple on our face. We all have shit that we're embarrassed about or um, whatever. But it, it really matters. Yeah. It really matters that we show up in our messy, imperfect selves. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous to see all these messy creatures being like, this is who I am. And, this, and I know that this, this talk that we had today is absolutely going to help people. And because you, Liz, had the courage to say, let's do it. Let's do it imperfect. If we... Yeah can't figure out this technology. Let's use this technology. If uh, Paloma's ADD forgets her sentence halfway through, you'll forgive me. Like we're just being ourselves and us being ourselves is a massive social benefit. Yeah. It's a ripple effect. And you know, so much for me about creating this podcast was about reaching women with some of the pragmatic tools that have helped me recover from 
a lot of different types of trauma. And when I think about like the practical steps of how do I start to wrestle with my own demons, for me, it has always been how do I make something painful that I went through matter for other people, right? And this is where it goes back into like allowing yourself to be quote unquote selfish. Like the way that I started to deal with even acknowledging to myself that the sexual assault I experienced, like that I choose to define that as rape, right? And then I had other people mirror back to me like, yeah, that was real. Um, Like my permission to start to have that conversation with myself then turned into curiosity about I cannot let this be a thing that just happened. I have to make it matter in some way, not because I'm feeling altruistic, but because I cannot stand to sit in the despair and the possibility that this is just a shitty thing that happened to me. And the the outgrowth of this is this podcast. It's the advocacy that I've done on a legislative level. It's the grad school program that when I was handed a fellowship, I didn't say, I want to write a research paper. I said, I want to start a fucking research center, right? And now there's hundreds of other people around the world that have contributed research via that research center, right? And I'm not saying I did any of this by myself. I am saying, however, the catalyst for it was, what is the thing that I am hurting the most from? And how can I make that thing matter to other people yes 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 pain to projects turn your pain into projects oh 100 100%, 100%. and that is you know taking a stand for yourself in the service of helping other people and you know i i studied undergrad in political science and a lot of the women that go into elected office their path is not the same as men you know they don't wake up one day and decide like i think i'd be good at running for office like I, i'm forgetting what state this legislature legislator is from but like the way she ended up running for office was she kept buying expired milk for her kids and she'd get home and be like this milk's fucking inspired and so she started advocating to have the expiration dates put on milk and like, lo and behold, however many years later, she ran for fucking Congress. And so when we think about kind of, you and I are both pretty about feminists, like when you think about the personal as political, you start to take radical self-care and start to get curious about if I'm taking care of myself in this way, how does that bubble out for other yes right yes like like I don't talk about I don't talk shit about my body in front of my son and I don't do that for him I do that for all of I don't know if he's going to be gay or straight or whatever but like I do that in the service of other women that he will see when he is older I do not want him to think women's service on this planet is to be thin and beautiful yes and you know what's funny oprah a lot of people said to her oh you're so full of yourself and she said yes i am i am full of myself i am so full that my cup runneth over and that is why i'm able to give to other people so um so profoundly so i'm super thrilled about um this going out and i think that people really need to hear this so Thank you so much, Liz. Yeah, so wrap it up for us in one nice tidy bow if you can. What does any of all of this, self-love, self-permission, pain, blah, 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 what does that have to do with money? Okay, so it all has to do with, are you willing and open to receive on the highest level? Mm. And, uh, and it's a decision, and it's a, and it's a thing of threshold training, you know, like, like you go to the gym. But if I had to end with like a kind of rallying call to women of like, what is my underlying thesis of all the work that I've done for the last nine years, it would be with love. I say, do not do the busy work to avoid the vulnerable work. Mm. If you can prioritize the vulnerable work and that is relationship with yourself, reprioritizing your standards, learning skills that make you the most powerful version of yourself, negotiation skills, confidence skills, sales skills, how do I talk about my expertise and not undersell myself, all those things. Then you can really have and do anything. And then the final thing is surround yourself with other people who show you that more is possible for you and protect yourself like hell from those people who want you to be small because it makes them feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. I want, I would, I would love my students to go past me. I would love like, I would love the people around me. I want them to flourish to their highest purpose. That's what I want for them. And so be around other people 
to want for you what you want for yourself. Um, and you can really, really, really have and do anything. It all starts with relationship to yourself. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, Paloma Lev, thank you for being here. Where can people find you now that they know that you are the bee's knees answer to all of their problems? <laughs> Thank you, darling. So I have a Facebook group, Sell Anything with Badass Confidence. That's W slash, because we be economizing on extra letters. Sell Anything with Badass Confidence. Find me on Facebook, um, Facebook and LinkedIn, Paloma Lev. And if you are interested in one-on-one -on -one working and digging into doing some of your vulnerable work in a way that you are guided in a safe way, you can go to bit.ly slash work with Paloma. And if you're really, really cool, because I only work with cool people that I can laugh with, and you're awesome, and you're coachable, um, then go ahead and grab a spot and apply, and we'll see if we can make magic together. So what you just heard was a badass conversation between two powerhouse women. We're not out here to self-promote, although maybe a little. What this is all about, really, is giving you a permission slip to step outside of whatever BS bounds you've been holding yourself within. We are so, 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 so socialized to wait until someone gives us permission to start living our best, biggest, most authentic lives. If that hit a chord with you, what I want to say to you right now is here's your permission slip. I love you. I love my family and all my friends. And the world is behind us. We might get together.